Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. I hope everyone's having a great day today. Um, It was recently just my birthday, so I am newly 25. I'm feeling ready for the year ahead. I am, on one hand, I'm like, of course, I'm like so thankful to be healthy and happy and just like I feel like I'm living my best life but on the other hand like I I just it, I feel so strange that I'm 25 like sometimes I'll I'll get like my um memories on Facebook like they'll pop up and I can go back and kind of see um you know past years and memories that happened on you know this day they'll say you did this on this day 10 years ago I'll be like oh my god how has it been 10 years since then um or, you know, I'll see a memory is like five years ago, you did this five years ago, you're doing this in high school or college. And I just can't believe how time flies. So I'm thankful to be 25. But I'm like, whoa, let's just slow down life. Let's slow down time because life truly does go by so fast. And I feel like as you get older, life goes by even faster. Like if I think back to elementary school, middle school, being younger, that time seemed very stretched out. And just as like high school went by, college went by, and now, you know, here life after college in the working world, it just, it goes by so fast. So thankful to be 25, looking forward to the year ahead, but just cannot believe how quickly life moves. And to everyone who wished me happy birthday, thank you, thank you, thank you, times a hundred. Everyone um, in the Healthy Girl Kitchen community who like reached out to me to let me know that, um, you know, wish me a happy birthday. You guys sent me such sweet messages, like paragraphs from some of you just like saying the sweetest things. So if that was, um, you know, coming from you, thank you so much. It truly made my day and it made me feel so special and so loved. Um, so let me just tell you the health tip and my cooking tip of the day before I tell you about the guest of the day. So for the health tip, I want to talk about fruit, which we're actually going to talk more about with our guest today, but I wanted to include it in the health tip because fruit is so important to include in your diet. And there's so much talk going around. There's so many um, people and just trends of, you know, even health professionals saying to limit your fruit intake because there's too much sugar. And I think that it's really important for, you know, people like myself to encourage you to eat fruit. As you know, I am a holistic health coach and I just Fruit is so incredibly beneficial for your health. It's filled with fiber and nutrients and disease-fighting antioxidants and all kinds of vitamins and minerals, vitamin C, vitamin A that you can't get in outside sources. So make sure that you're including fruit in your diet, whether it's in a smoothie, whether you cut up an apple with almond butter, whether you have some orange slices or pack like a little clementine in your lunch, or maybe you have some berries on your oatmeal in the morning. It could even be like frozen blueberries that you stir into your oatmeal, just like any way you can get fruit in is so amazing for you. And I think for me, what I notice when I include fruit is one, my digestion is on point. 
my gut loves when I include fruit, which is mainly due to the hydration that it includes and also the fiber. And I notice my skin is at its peak when I'm including a lot of fruit. So when I'm nourishing with like pineapple in the morning and kiwi and apple slices, I notice um, I have much less breakouts, um, especially around um, my period. And I just noticed that overall my complexion looks a lot clearer. I think again, because also it provides that great hydration. Um, So yeah, look at your day, look at your diet and try to see where you can fit in more fruit. And I think, as I said before, I think the easiest way is making a smoothie. It's so quick, so simple. Make a berry smoothie, make a smoothie with like frozen mixed berries, frozen pineapple. Maybe you do like a frozen mango smoothie and add some spinach in there. Um, I think that's one of the simplest ways to get some fruit in. Um, And then the cooking tip of the day is to make chickpea chocolate chip cookies. And you're like, what? Chickpea chocolate chip cookies? Are you kidding me, Danielle? That sounds gross. Or maybe to you, that sounds good. But I know a lot of people are like, oh my God, what are you talking about? You make cookies with chickpeas. And let me tell you, they're the freaking bomb. Basically, you use chickpeas, cooked chickpeas, cook chickpeas as the base of your chocolate chip cookie. So instead of using flour or something else, you're going to use chickpeas as the base. And then you have a fiber plant protein rich cookie base. And then you add um, all like nut butter and oats and dates and some vegan dark chocolate chips, of course. And um, I used coconut sugar in mine and maple syrup as the sweeteners. Um, but I have a recipe, a new recipe on healthygirlkitchen.com for chickpea chocolate chip cookies. You have to make them like this is an emergency. You have to go make them this week. Um, they're so easy. You make them in the food processor and it's just like the perfect healthy dessert. Like I know I'm always craving something sweet after dinner. I like having, you know, a little piece of dark chocolate or a little healthy treat that I make. This is the perfect little after dinner treat or even like a snack throughout the day. Um, And because it is made out of like chickpeas, dates, peanut butter, oats, it actually is filled with nutrition while also feeling like you're having a delicious treat. And of course, you know, it has sugar, um, you know, from the coconut sugar and maple syrup and chocolate chips, but it's like the best new vegan dessert that I am obsessed with. They're also gluten-free, oil-free, 100% plant-based. And again, those are on my website. So you have to check them out. And if you make them, make sure to post them. Tag me at Healthy Girl Kitchen. I want to see your chickpea cookie creations. And that leads me into our guest for the day. You're going to love her. She's so sweet. We had the best conversation. I feel like we had so much in common. And um, I actually, I found her through TikTok. You know, we kind of connected through there. She makes amazing TikTok videos all about health and nutrition. Um, So our guest is Sophia Fabrizio. She is a clinical dietitian who specializes in acute care medical nutrition therapy. And on the side, she has a social media account on both TikTok and Instagram where she educates people about nutrition. She makes fun, healthy recipes, and she debunks all of the diet culture fads and false nutrition info that you'll find on social media. So Sophia joins us to kind of debunk all the 
the fads out there debunk and kind of crowd out the wellness noise and give us the straight facts. So without further ado, let's welcome Sophia to the Healthy Girl podcast. And don't forget to screenshot this, put it on your Instagram story and tag me so that I know you're listening. I love seeing who's listening to the Healthy Girl podcast. It actually makes my day when you guys post and also make sure to rate and review the podcast if you are enjoying it. It helps me so, so, so much and it would mean a lot. And just a little side note, everything that we talk about today is not personal medical advice or nutrition advice. So always make sure if you're having an issue to talk to a dietitian or doctor near you. So yeah, let's jump into the episode. Hi, Sophia. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you here. As I was just telling you, I feel like I already know you from watching all of your fun, educational health TikToks. So I'm now excited to connect over video chat. We are now we're we're in a video chat, so it feels like we're face to face, which is super nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure we have so much in common, so much to talk about. And I wanted to really talk to you and invite you on because you are a registered dietitian. And I think there's a lot of health information that goes around, a lot of wellness noise, a lot of diet trends, health fat, just just a lot of nonsense. So I really want to be interviewing you, talking to you to bring your expertise to the Healthy Girl Kitchen community. Um, But I wanted to start with your background and like your kind of health journey and how you became a registered dietitian. Yeah. So I became really interested in nutrition for my own health reasons initially in middle school, which is pretty early on. Um, I wanted to be a marine biologist before that, but then in middle school, I developed dyspepsia, which is just um, getting nauseous after you eat. And so whatever I, whenever I ate something, I just kept getting nauseous and I kept getting all these tests done and doctors just couldn't really pinpoint exactly why I was getting nauseous after I ate. So then I was like, okay, it's starting high school. I was like, I need to figure out what's going on. And that's when I got into nutrition because I realized that some foods made me nauseous while some didn't. And so then it was more of like trying to take back my own health that got me into nutrition. And then from there, I already knew, I didn't exactly know what a dietitian did or was, all I knew is that they were in the realm of nutrition. And so that's why I applied to UC Berkeley under the nutrition major. And I just went with the flow, Um, felt really annoyed when I was put in the pre-med chemistry, O-chem classes and biochem classes, because those are the absolute worst, but they are a really good, in the end, if you look back, they are really good background to have for nutrition um, also in addition to medicine. Um, And so that's how I got into nutrition. And then once I did my internship to become a dietitian, I really fell in love with clinical nutrition and working in an acute care setting and especially in the ICU. And so uh, that's when I realized, oh yeah, this is, this is what I want to be doing. (laughs) So what's the process like to become a dietitian? Like maybe for someone who doesn't know what that process is, because it's very intense um, where, you know, someone maybe someone who calls himself a nutritionist has to go through no formal training. So I want you to kind of explain the process. And also for maybe someone who is interested in becoming a dietitian, that would be helpful. Yeah, definitely. I have actually gotten a good amount of comments on my posts asking me, can you make 
some videos about how to become a dietitian because I'm interested. And so it's four years of undergrad. If we go through the timeline, it's four years of undergrad where you complete all the required courses. Um, where I went, it was called the DPD program. Um, basically all the required courses that then set you up to be able to apply for an internship. You can't apply to an internship without those course, having done those courses first. And those are like OCHEM, biochem, metabolism, microbiome, et cetera. And then you do, so after the four years, and then depending on how long, because I did make a video and someone said, well, actually it took me like five or six years to finish university. So the goal is to just get a bachelor's, right? Finish those courses, get your degree, and then do apply and get an internship. Internships are very difficult to get. There's a first round and there's a second round. It's very similar to med school where you rank the schools, you rank the, um, the programs, and then you it's a matching system. I actually didn't get matched the first time, but I'm. it was actually a blessing in disguise because the second round I applied to the UC Berkeley ISPE, and ISPE is the name for the second round internships. And they're just as great as the first rounds. They're just, the program directors know that this matching is just has such a low match rate. This matching system just doesn't, a lot of people don't get matched. And so that's why they created this second round. And I ended up going to the Berkeley ISPE, which was amazing. And I was, did my clinical rotation at Kaiser in Oakland, which I absolutely loved. And um, so once you do that one year of, it's an intense internship, it's unpaid. You're working in a hospital in addition to having multiple assignments. So you're working like nine to five, but I, I had to go in like 7.30 to like 4.30 most days. Um, and then on top of that, you also have all the, your assignments that your program requires. And by the end of it, you're basically a dietitian. By the end of it, you have staff relief, which is basically you taking on the role of a dietitian in the hospital. And they kind of just watch over your work and make sure you're doing the right thing. And after that internship, you just have to study for the national award exam. And then once you pass that, uh, you become a dietitian. And then you can specialize after that. In 2024, they're also going to require a master's degree. Um, I believe it's 2024. I might have the the year wrong, but soon we're going to have to. It's going to. We're going to have to also get a master's degree before taking the national board exam. So that's coming up soon as oh, well. That's interesting. So do you have to then go back and get your master's, or you're kind of like grandfathered in? Yeah, technically I don't. I'm grandfathered. In. Yeah, I technically don't, but I think I'm. I'm going to anyways. I know I want to do some type of higher education after some type of graduate degree, whether it's a master's, a PhD. I'm. That's why I'm at right now. I'm still trying to figure out what to do next. Um, but it's definitely something I want to do because doing the internship kind of leaves you with this like desire to do more. Like you see, you learn how much you don't know. Right. And so then it leaves you just wanting more. And so definitely thinking about going back to school. And again, who are you working with on a day to day basis? What's your focus? So as a clinical dietitian, I'm currently in the middle ground. I've been applying to jobs and because I became a diet, because of COVID, everything kind of got, you know, as usual, <laughs> messed up. And uh, after I finished my internship, it took many months before I could take the exam because many of the testing centers were closed or just were packed because they were only letting a couple students in at a time because of COVID. So I ended up having to take my exam like four months after I actually finished my internship. And usually you only study for one month. And so that was in September. And ever since then, um, I got a couple, like then TikTok kind of blew up. And so I've been, I also got a couple like paid opportunities through that and through Snapchat. And so I've been kind of 
in a middle ground of applying to jobs, but also doing that on the side. And, but hopefully as a clinical dietitian, what I will be doing is providing medical nutrition therapy for patients in a hospital. And that's actually a really good question because I always want to speak about this because I feel like dietitians have this reputation and stereotype as being just the people who tell people how to lose weight. When really that's not, that's only like maybe one, <laughs> 32, one, like, like such a small fraction of what dietitians actually do. Um, in the internship, we're trained to provide medical nutrition therapy for patients in a hospital setting who are very sick. And so what medical nutrition therapy is, is basically being able to prevent malnutrition because lots of research shows that if patients are not provided nutrition in a hospital setting, they have a higher rate of morbidity and mortality. And so basically in layman's terms, it's like they just don't either, they either don't survive as long, as much or they get better and then they come back to the hospital because they were so malnourished to begin with um, because they aren't able to recover as well without proper nutrition. And so um, being able to work in like a multidisciplinary team, like knowing what the doctor's plan is and then being able to provide nutrition um, because a lot of patients in the hospital either can't eat, aren't eating as well. So we have to provide tube feeding recommendations or at the to the extreme, we'd have to provide parenteral nutrition, which is IV nutrition. And so um, that's the majority of what dietitians do in the hospital setting is making sure to prevent malnutrition and provide nutrition based on specific diseases and conditions like liver disease, like cirrhosis or renal disease, et cetera. And I'm sure it doesn't help that hospitals really have such poor quality options. Yes. <laughs> How that's do you actually work around that? that? Yeah, that's a huge part. So when I initially wanted to become a dietitian, I realized that I actually really wanted to become an integrative dietitian when I first was interested because I was really interested in like, okay, how do we provide like actual food? Like which foods have which vitamins and how do we provide a diet, like a healthy diet out of that when really it's less about that and more about just preventing malnutrition because malnutrition is such a big issue. And so when I got to the hospital and I saw the ingredients of some of the protein shakes, because when patients can't eat in a hospital, we have to give them supplements and supplements are like mini protein shakes and all these protein shakes, like it's a big, it's something bigger than what I can even, I don't have a lot of power on dictating what supplements to give patients because it's all what, um, contracts the hospital has with certain companies and, and to provide these supplement shakes. And so the hospital I was at had um, a contract with Nestle and um, the protein shakes that they provide, unfortunately, don't have the best ingredients from a dietitian's point of view, but they get the job done. So it's kind of a it's like a, it's a balance. It's like, okay, so I could give this patient something that doesn't have the best ingredients, but at least they're not going to get malnourished. And that's my key goal. Um, cause these, these supplements are filled with like corn syrup, um, refined oils, et cetera. And there actually is a new company that started a new supplement. They're called Kate farms that the hospital now carries and they're much better ingredients. They have like MCT oil and, um, like agave and more, you know, less processed, um, ingredients and which is great to see um, that that's now up and coming. But when I initially went into my internship, and I saw these ingredients of the regular protein shakes. I looked at my preceptors, which are basically my managers. Um, and I was like, what? We're giving these patients this? And they were like, don't worry about it. 
you can't do anything about it. Just <laughs> look at the protein, the calories, make sure, because they're basically multivitamins in a supplement. They basically have all the vitamins and minerals and they have your protein, they have your carbs, they have your fat, they have everything you need. Basically, if someone isn't eating enough, you can rely on them to make sure that they aren't going to become malnourished, which is the goal in the end. Right. Um, no, that makes a lot of the, sense. And yeah, I'm sure, and even, yeah. No, that's just must be very frustrating for you. <laughs> yeah. And then the food in itself, how well, how good the actual food is depends on the hospital that you're at. Um, UCSF has really good food. Kaiser has pretty good food. Um, like even the dietitians are allowed to, um, like have some of the food, um, not the actual food that they serve, but they like have the already prepped food that comes like the ready prepared food that all you have to do is heat in a microwave. Um, and the dietitians at the hospital eat it. And so if they eat it, you, that means, you know, it's not that bad, right? It's, um, it's, it's not totally refined and lacking of nutrition. It's, it's a good, it's decent food. Yeah. Well, for those of us who are at home and thankfully not in a hospital setting and can go to the grocery store and stock our pantries and fridges with, you know, basically anything mm -hmm. we want, you know, let's kind of dive into that. And first starting with, you posted recently um, a TikTok video about debunking the whole concept that fruit has too much sugar. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about fruit. Let's talk about fruit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> fruit is, um, it's, it's tricky and it's not because if you're an otherwise healthy individual, um, even like the dietary guidelines of Americans, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, like all the recommendations that come from these organizations include half of your plate should be fruits and vegetables. The other plate, the other half should be whole grain grains and a protein source, whether that's a vegan protein source or not, it's okay. Um, and if it's a vegan source, like making sure you're making a complete protein, you know, like having all the amino acids in there at once. And, um, that just goes to show that if these are the recommendations that these organizations are making, you know, they're, they're based on research, they're evidence based. And it shows that fruit for an otherwise healthy individual, it has vitamins and minerals, it has fiber, um, it's totally great and okay to eat. It's, it's better than okay. It's really good to eat because of the vitamins, minerals, and fiber, which we know are very beneficial to the body. And fiber is really good for your gut health. Um, and so this, I think this fear of fruit stemmed from diet culture um, that tends to just look at macros and not necessarily the whole food in it of itself. And which is why I really don't recommend counting calories and counting macros because it just, it's just a recipe for disaster and can even lead to an eating disorder. Like, yes, it can help some people, but how many people can practice and learn how to macro count and calorie count and then stop? Like I have yet to see someone who can completely stop and just let go of it and just eat freely um, after having doing, done that for so long and achieved their quote unquote body their like ideal body using those methods. Um, and so, yeah, there really doesn't need to be this fear around sugar, especially because sugar is the main source of energy for the body, which is which also stem. I think this fear of fruit stems from the fear of carbs that has now um, become very prevalent in diet culture and in general. And it's interesting because if you go back in history, right, where 
right right when we started seeing this rise in obesity and diabetes, like the epidemic of obesity and diabetes kind of started right after the low-fat craze, which was after this huge research study showed that all the like cardiovascular disease was tied to fat consumption. But it didn't but what what I realized is that it, when I looking back at this research, it didn't distinguish between what kind of fat. Are we talking about saturated fat, like monounsaturated, polyunsaturated? Like there's so many different types of fat, and that in general, just the sphere of fat started, and so everybody started taking this to the extreme and started eating low fat. And now, and then obviously the food industry caught on and started making all these low fat products that ended up having a burger in them because if you take out away the fat, you take away the flavor, so you have to add it on back with something and that something was sugar to add the flavor back. And so that kind of started this whole craze, which then leads us to now start going into research and saying, okay, now actually maybe it's the added sugars that are the issue that we should be worried about. But just because added sugars is something that we should pay attention to doesn't mean that all sugars are bad, right? And there's different types of sugars where you get them, the source, like it's so much more complex than just saying, oh, sugar is, we shouldn't be eating sugar, right? Or refined sugar for that matter. And it's just so, what I've noticed diet culture tends to do is take large claims and just oversimplify them. Um, and which is definitely not something we should be doing when reading research ever. Right. And especially, you know, you could say, let's just say hypothetically, a Twix bar and an apple had the same grams of sugar. I mean, I don't know the exact measurements, but of course, you know, you would choose the apple. It's not going to react the same in your body. It's not going to process it the same way. The Twix bar doesn't have the fiber and the antioxidants and the polyphenols and all that great stuff that comes with a whole natural source of nutrition. Exactly. Exactly. And I have noticed also because intuitive eating is something that I'm sure we'll talk about um, later on in this podcast, but I've seen a lot of, because intuitive eating is something I'm aware of. It's something I've read the book. I don't have my own intuitive eating practice, right? I'm not an outpatient dietitian. I don't have my own business where I just see clients and practice intuitive eating. So I only know so much about it. I only know how much I read in the book. And from what I understand, what they're trying to even get away from is like, yeah, you can actually have the Twix bar if you want, but just you have to know and recognize what do you want intuitively. So how are you going to feel after eating the Twix bar? Like if you're actually hungry and you're hungry enough to like have a meal, but you only have enough for a snack. Like, is an apple going to fill you up or is a Twix going to fill you up? Like, how are you going to feel after that, right? So it's really like being intuitive with what you're going to eat. And it might take a lot of thinking and a lot of processing in the beginning, but then it'll get a lot easier. And sometimes you'll pick the Twix when you want it and sometimes you'll pick the apple. And so it's really having that balance between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think, well, let's go into intuitive eating a little mm-hmm. bit. I know you just said, you know, you read the book, it's not your specialty, but, yeah. um, you know, just in general for mm-hmm. intuitive eating, I know for myself, if I were to just eat intuitively, I would eat too much or mm-hmm. I would eat too much of the wrong. Like I might use intuitive eating as an excuse to eat more or eat something bad or like just an excuse to be like, oh, I'm on my period. I'm, I'm going to eat whatever I want. Or, you know, my body's wanting chocolate. So I'm going to have two chocolate bars like I intuitively. So I think it can be, you know, an opportunity to use excuses. But I think it can 
be done right. I think it's like a, a tool that you need to sharpen. Like if you actually get good at it, like if you're actually, as you said, critically thinking about each step, I think yeah. it can be helpful. Yeah. So what the pillar, from what I understand, the pillars of intuitive eating are kind of just like centered around this idea that like no food is good or bad, right? So you take away the, the morality from food and therefore it lets you have it at any time, at any point, like there's no strict rules around it, around it. And we know human nature is, it's just how, like, basically with human nature, when someone is restricted from something or is not allowed to have something, they want it more. Right. And so intuitive eating kind of banks on this and says, Hey, like if you actually let yourself eat these foods, maybe in the beginning of your, because if you've been restricting for so long and suddenly you allow yourself to have all these foods, yeah, in the beginning, you're probably going to eat a lot of them. You're probably going to have a ton of pizza, a ton of burgers and ton of ice cream. Who knows? Like whatever you were craving and you were restricting before, you're probably going to have a lot of it. And then like you have to get over that step first. You have to allow yourself to have all those foods and then your, your body will reach a point where actually doesn't want it anymore. Like you can only eat pizza every day for so long right? Then you'll actually start feeling kind of icky. And so it's kind of like this, it's this phase, you have to go through these phases is what I understand for intuitive eating, where not only are you letting yourself eat intuitively, but at the same time, you're also educating yourself on nutrition and what your body actually needs, right? And so it's a mix of the two, because what I've seen other intuitive eating dietitians say when people, people have commented what you've said, what you said in the beginning, um, that like, you feel like you just won't have control, like you'll eat too much. And what I've seen their responses are that their responses consist of, that's just the beginning phase. Then once you allow yourself to have these foods, you'll be able to be more intuitive with it. And you'll really ask yourself, okay, well, how do I feel after that? Like, let's say you're craving, who knows, like chocolate cake and you eat, like you allow yourself to have, you know, two, maybe even three slices. Like then you ask yourself, okay, how do I feel? Like not out of guilt, like removing guilt from the situation, literally just like, how does your stomach feel? How's your energy? How do you feel the next morning? And then you go from there. And then you say, well, actually I don't feel that great. And so the next time you're presented with, let's say a cake, you might only eat two slices because you're like, I actually felt really shitty the next morning. Right. And so it's kind of developing that mindset. Um, and I also initially, when I actually heard of intuitive eating and learned about it, um, at university, the, the first thing that came to mind was, okay, well, actually there are individuals who will reach a certain weight and reach a certain amount of fat composition on their body and fat releases hormones, right? And when people reach a certain level of fat and weight, um, that actually dysregulates their hormones to a certain extent where they have leptin resistance. So they don't feel full um, and they are hungry all the time, right? And so if you ask them to intuitively eat, okay, then you have an issue because their hormones aren't telling them, they're not giving them the right signals. They're telling them to stop eating way too late in the, um, in the meal and they're making them feel hungry all the time. So I think when people practice intuitive eating, you, it's really a balance between nutrition education and not necessarily like portion size, but sort of like giving them a my plate and saying like, Hey, this is the, this is how many vegetables you should be eating. Right. And making sure you're at least getting in all those nutrients. Um, and then slowly, but surely practicing intuitive eating while also doing that education on the side. 
Yeah, no, I think that's important that you explain it like that because I know even for me, like I always, I eat healthy in general. Mm -hmm. I'm plant-based. I, you know, have a smoothie for breakfast. I'll have Mm -hmm. like a salad for lunch with like tofu, brown rice, whatever. I'll have like a vegan Mexican bowl for dinner, whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. I eat pretty healthy, but of course, like I love having like vegan ice cream or having like, you know, some kind of vegan junk food. Um, and you know, there are times just, you know, ebbs and flows of times where I'm like a lot like stricter with myself and times where I'm just have a more Mm -hmm. like, uh, laissez faire approach to my diet Yeah, where, you know, but in general, I, you know, do eat pretty healthy, but I notice those times where I am, you know, maybe I'll have a vegan cupcake from the bakery next door, or, you know, I might have something a little bit more processed for breakfast or have more sugar than usual. Then I'll notice myself, as you said, feeling just not as good as I normally do. And then that's the motivation Mm -hmm. to not be having those things. Yeah. Yeah. And in the end, especially if you're someone, cause I can relate. I do, even before I became a dietitian, even before, like once I got into nutrition in high school, I already started eating a lot healthier just because out of random, the foods that didn't make me nauseous were healthier ones. Um, and so naturally I just started developing this healthier eating pattern. And you'll notice that if you talk to a lot of people who eat, quote, because healthy could mean a lot of things, right? Healthy is a very general term. Healthy could means different things to different people. Um, you For know, sure. to me, it means eating a lot of nutrient dense foods, eating a lot of vegetables, fruits, eating things that are really going to benefit your body to like give you energy to make you feel good, right? That's what healthy means to me. Um, and so I've noticed that like when people eat that way, they will still have cravings, right? They'll still have the normal cravings, they'll want sweets, etc. But sometimes they just don't necessarily want them want like, you know, cupcakes every single day or pizza every single day or like, because they genuinely feel, um, the after effects of it. Right. It's kind of like after you drink, like obviously like when people get drunk and they black out, like, yeah, they feel really bad the next day and they still go out and do it. But that's like an extreme version, right. Of how you feel after eating, eating certain, certain foods. But what I think is important is to distinguish between, how your body is feeling versus your mind, right? Is it guilt from eating those foods or is it actually your body feeling like eh, after eating them? Like we definitely need to distinguish between those two because the guilt will definitely all come from is comes from diet culture. And it comes from this idea of needing to eat perfectly all the time. Um, And so whenever analyzing your diet or analyzing the way you're eating or wanting certain foods, I think it's really important to um, really analyze why you're doing it, why you feel that way, why you think certain ways, and is it a product of diet culture? And um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot of self-reflection um, at that point. Yeah. And for someone, so let's say there is someone who, you know, let's say they had a cupcake after mm-hmm. dinner. Um, what is your tip to them to learn how to distinguish between whether it's a guilty feeling or whether, you know, it's their body telling them that they, you know, didn't feel as good having the cupcake? Um, Initially, if they're, if they are a person who is, has already had a tendency to feel guilty, like they already have this ingrained in them, I wouldn't even think about how they feel. Like I would, the first step is to completely let go of the guilt. 
um, for it to not even be part of the equation. Like eat the cupcake and don't feel guilty about it. That's like the first step. That's the only thing I would probably tell that person to do. Um, and then because it's a process, because then people can easily say like, oh, cupcakes don't make me feel good when it's really the guilt, except on social media, they'll portray it as like, oh, I don't eat these foods because they don't make me feel good, which is what I think the wellness wellness culture has kind of turned into. It's like a, a masking of diet culture because now people are eating in a certain way and their excuse quote is for some people, not everyone, but their excuse is, oh, it makes me feel better when really it's actually mental they would feel guilty if they didn't eat that way. So I think completely removing the guilt is the first step and then going from there. And then it's, it'll take a long time and it'll take working with a dietitian and it'll take journaling. It'll take a lot of psych motivational interviewing to kind of let go of all that. And which is why not only do I recommend some people go see a dietitian, but like, even if people don't have eating disorders, the problem with diet culture it, it, is that it, it will give people eating disorder like thoughts without actually giving them an eating disorder, if that makes sense. So going to an eating disorder trained or specialized dietitian will help people completely get over those thoughts. Because I've seen many people, even especially in college, who didn't have eating disorders, but will say things like, oh, I feel fat. Oh, I'm not going to eat today because I'm going to drink a lot later. Like, even though that person doesn't have an eating disorder, those thoughts and saying those things to people is totally eating disorder language. Um, and so I think that's an, another thing that a lot of people aren't talking a lot about is that like these phrases, these things that we say that have become normalized are, shouldn't be right. They're not, they sh really shouldn't be said, um, saying, I feel, I feel fat. I feel like I need to, um, eat, uh, no, I feel like I have to work out after eating, um, an ice cream sandwich than like a night before, like all those thoughts and say, and whenever, whether they're thoughts or whether people actually say them, those are all. Um, very uh, like minor versions of like eating disorder talk. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. Um, and that's something I've for sure had to learn and learning that, you know, on your health journey, there is no such thing as being perfect, no matter what diet you follow, whether it's being vegan, whether it's um, paleo, whether it's keto, like literally whatever you're doing, there's no such thing as perfect that just does not make sense because everyone has a different definition of what a healthy yes. diet is. And also it just, it's totally based on the individual, what works for them, right? Like what works, yes. what's perfect for you is different than what's perfect for me. Um, exactly. in quotes. And I think for me also, you know, along with learning that it's when I eat those things like sugar and maybe not as much fiber, like learning those physical sensations that aren't as good. So I know when I eat a lot of sugar, I feel really tired. I don't have as much energy. Um, mm -hmm. When I have, you know, if I chose white bread instead of whole grain bread, I notice it in my digestion. Like I don't have as regular digestion, you know, if I'm not mm -hmm. having those whole grains. So those are the things that I've personally learned to realize. And like, that's why I eat healthy because it genuinely makes me feel good. And um, so I'm just, I'm glad we talked about this. I think it's not talked yeah. about enough. Yeah, definitely. And that's like the goal is to realize, okay, I feel good when I eat this way. Like I have regular digestion, my acne is clear, like, or like I don't have as much acne, like I feel good, I have energy, but I also don't restrict the foods that I crave that I love. Like if my friends are going out to get pizza, I'm going to go out to get pizza, right? And it's really having that balance of eating in a way that makes you feel good which also includes the foods that you crave that you 
you know, want to eat that your friends eat, etc. Um, because then it becomes, it takes a toll on your mental health. Like if your way of eating um, is at, a, at an expense of your mental health, like how healthy is it really? right? If you have to give up socializing or you have to like plan your meal ahead so that you can go out or you have to figure out how to eat a night that you're going to drink, how healthy is that really? Um, and a big, what you said before kind of um, reminded me something about intuitive eating and it's that unfortunately diet culture has this ideal body image that it portrays and that's why diet culture exists and is able to exist that's why fit teas exist that's why detox cleanses that's why they exist because they bank off of people's body insecurities right and so what i've noticed and what i kind of took away from the book is that you have to let go of that body image to be able to practice intuitive eating because your body naturally likely won't look like that, like the ideal body when you start intuitively eating, right? And so letting that go is like the primary step. In addition to letting go of all guilt, like that is like the main, the main goal initially. Like you won't be able to truly practice intuitive eating until you let go of that body um, or that desire to look a certain way. And um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about. Um, because in the end, it's kind of hidden. It's under, it's under, it's, it's like underneath, it's not actually said. It's kind of like under the iceberg, right? It's, um, and so, yeah, I think that's a, that, that's a big part in letting go of diet culture thoughts is letting go of also the body image that people strive for. Which is so freaking hard. I'm sure you feel that way too. everywhere. It's everywhere. People pay to look that way. You know, rich people like are able to get surgery and look that way. And that's not the reality for a majority of people. And there are people who are just genetically will look like that, you know? And unfortunately, the people who are genetic, who genetically look like that, who can eat whatever they want and can look like that are the ones that, you know, get the most attention on social media. And people don't realize that genetics plays such a large role. Like, for example, the thigh gap. Like, literally, if your hips do not have a certain formation, you won't have one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's in your DNA that you wouldn't have one. And it doesn't mean you're any less than the person who does have them. Like, it's literally just a space in between, you know, your thighs. So some of the things that are, you know, become popularized or idealized are just kind of, it's, it's sad. <laughs> it really, and it's, um, and it's because it's unattainable for a lot of people. And it's what leads to a lot of, um, unhealthy thoughts around food, unhealthy thoughts around body, like body shaming and, um, et cetera. Yeah. And I notice on TikTok, it's a lot of younger girls, teenage girls who, as you said, are genetically blessed. They're at this point, they're going through puberty. They're they're probably burning a lot more calories than, you know, a a woman who's in her twenties and thirties. And, you know, these girls are then becoming role models and quotes to other girls. And, you know, they're looking to their bodies for what their bodies should look like. Yeah. It's, it's quite sad. Um, and it's, hard it's difficult to stop it because you know based on the tiktok algorithm is if one video you know based on how much people um you know interact with it you know a lot of more a lot of people will see it and unfortunately it 
Well, fortunately, we do have a, bo a body positive movement, right? There's a lot of TikTok, TikTok accounts that are trying to let go of this and reinforce the idea that everybody is a beautiful body, which is great. Um, so many kudos to those who are putting themselves out there, showing their bodies. And, you know, we need so much more of it um, to just normalize different bodies. And I think slowly but surely this movement will take even more force and we'll be able to, um, overcome this idealized super thin body. Um, because in the end, although this idealized thin body looks healthy to people, or that's what people think when they think of healthy, they think of that body that is completely untrue. Like, absolutely no doubt about it. There's no such thing as one body type that is like the definition of healthy, um, especially because the bodies that people idealize, like the abs, the whatever, you know, like having just like a, a toned, thin look. I was listening to a podcast a couple years ago about a woman who was praised for when she reached that body. Like she, she was working out hard enough. She was eating so strict. And what she came out and said was like, I was the most unhappy I've ever been in my whole life. I was fatigued. I was unhappy. I had no energy at all, but you know, I had the body, but I hated it. Right. Because sometimes if it takes that much, if it takes you restricting and doing all, kind of like what we said before, if it comes, if it's at, you know, if you have to let go of your mental health and it takes a toll on your mental health just to look like that, like how healthy is that really? And she even lost her, her menstrual cycle because of it. And that we already know is not healthy whatsoever. It's a big risk for osteoporosis. And so I hope that we'll see a lot more accounts saying that these bodies aren't actually healthy. Like, yes, they can be healthy for some people who are just genetically thin, but for people who have to do that much work and really almost like hurt their relationship with food, hurt their like everything um, just to reach that body, um, that's definitely not, not healthy. Yeah. And I follow someone or I followed someone on Instagram um, a couple years back who she was looking very toned, very fit, um, pretty thin um, and okay. kind of similar. She was receiving a lot of praise, everyone commenting on her pictures. Oh, my God, you look amazing. And asking her, what are you doing? How do you look so great? And, you know, she didn't really address that. But then, you know, it came out that she had been struggling with an eating disorder. And exactly, it's just you have no idea what's going on behind closed doors. So if I can just help to encourage um, people out there to not compare themselves to people they see on social media, like you have no idea what's going on in these people's lives. Exactly. That's a great point. Um, you'll see like for the people who are willing to go out and say it, uh, to say it on social media, many of the people who have those bodies do have eating disorders, 100%. Um, they have bulimia, they have orthorexia, they will definitely have it. Some don't, but a majority of them do. And a majority of the, because dietitians are taught, at least I was taught that when I trained with an eating disorder dietitian, that any, so, any type of controlling the way you eat, whether you're calorie counting, whether you're macro counting, whether you're actually doing a diet, that is dieting. That is 100% dieting. Like a lot of people who count macros or whatever will, will claim that they're not dieting, but they are because they're completely restricting the, their, the food that they're eating. They're planning it. They're making sure they don't eat more or less than whatever they plan. 
right? And so a lot of these fitness influencers who are just, all they care about is calories in, calories out. They just completely on social media will just make a bunch of videos emphasizing macro counting and everything. That's really harmful because that's not, in my eyes, a healthy way to look at food. And um, it still pushes this certain type of body um, and looks and it causes people to look as good as good or bad. Um, and I don't think is the solution to sustainable long-term weight loss in addition to mental health, <laughs> good mental health. I agree. Um, I want to shift gears a, a little bit and ask you about magnesium for stress and oh. anxiety, because you posted a video about this and I love just talking about the nutrient benefits of certain foods and how they can mm -hmm. actually help with things like stress and anxiety. Cause some people don't yeah. know how powerful diet can be. So let's talk about that. Yeah, definitely. Magnesium is so important for so many things, your muscles, your neurons, your, um, and it, it's well known uh, we're taught this in in school, and a lot of integrative dietitians will also really emphasize certain foods because of the nutrients that they contain. Magnesium being one of them, and it a lot of magnesium filled foods like chocolate, like almonds, like leafy greens, like spinach, like whole grains um, can help not necessarily relieve stress, but help your body deal with stress. Magnesium is actually required for ATP to be in its active form. ATP is our energy substrate. And so magnesium is important for so many, so many reasons. And so, and a lot of Americans are deficient in it in addition to vitamin D. And so it's important because a lot of processed food, although some of it is fortified with vitamins and minerals, like it's not like eating the real food with the vitamins already in it nowhere near it. Like, yeah, you might not become deficient if you eat these fortified foods, but there's something else about eating the actual food from the source. And obviously if someone's actually deficient, just eating the foods isn't going to cover it. They're definitely going to have to take a supplement. Um, but magnesium is a great one to help relax the muscles. Um, and it's even some, there was one study that I saw that showed that magnesium and vitamin B6 together helped with menstrual cramps. Um, what, what, was that because the people were deficient? I don't know, <laughs> but it was just one study. That's interesting. Yeah. I actually, I sometimes take magnesium before bed just because it helps me to calm yeah, me down. <laughs> yeah. Twins. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a very active mind at night. I'm definitely mm -hmm. a night owl. I have a very creative brain. So the second I lay my head on the pillow, I have like 6,000 thoughts and I'm like, okay, what do I have to do tomorrow? How, you know, Oh, I did something stupid today or whatever. My brain just goes into yeah. you, you understand the struggle. So completely. I'm a full, yeah. The, the range is the, the brain, the brain just starts racing the moment my head hits the pillow. <laughs> it doesn't mean my, my fiance Ari, he's like, he's like, oh, Danielle, like I'm trying to sleep and you're talking my ear off and like <laughs> pouring all of your thoughts and problems and concerns onto me. And he's like, I don't know if it's guys, I don't know if it's just him, but he's like, he's like, I don't know. My mind is blank at night. Like I just go to sleep and I'm over, like, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm laying down just with 10,000 thoughts. And I found that mag magnesium really helps to 
calm me down, calm my mind. And also I find it gives me deeper sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree. I felt the same. And, um, Unfortunately, it's not mainstream practice necessarily for dietitians, especially in the hospital setting, even outpatient, honestly. Sure. Um, hopefully we're getting, now that vitamin D is getting so much attention, hopefully we're, we'll get to the point where a lot more vitamin and mineral testing will be done um, to see whether people are deficient because that will then, um, but we don't have that yet because we don't have good enough tests to test whether people are deficient or not. Um, like we have, right, we look at vitamin A, we look at retinol binding protein and stuff like there's, we just don't really know what to test yet for certain vitamins and minerals to see whether people are deficient or not. Um, but for now, we do know vitamin D, we have B12, we have folate. So there's some that, you know, people will only test if people are showing signs, or doctors will only test if people are showing signs of deficiency, but sometimes that's too late. You know, sometimes you want to catch it early. You want to catch these vitamin and mineral deficiencies early, um, especially B12. Um, but you'd likely see that in the anemia labs or anemic labs. But regardless, I think um, making sure, like as long as people, like if you're an otherwise healthy individual who is eating a balanced diet without any other issues on the side, eating a balanced diet would totally cover all the vitamins and minerals. But that's not the reality for a lot of people. Like even me, I eat a very balanced diet, but I still supplement supplement with vitamin D with magnesium. Um, I take a multivitamin too, vitamin two, um, and it's helped tremendously with my menstrual pain, um, during my period. And so sometimes diet isn't enough. Um, but we're not at the point where we can recommend certain supplements all the time, which is another issue with the wellness industry is like the over the mass supplement <laughs> industry that is, go that is currently very prevalent, um, in society and because supplements, the main issue is supplements aren't regulated by the FDA. And so we don't know if you're actually getting what the label says you're getting. Um, you don't know, actually, we don't know if you're actually getting what the label says you're getting when you take a supplement. Right. And I always tell people um, that, at least to me, supplements are like the sprinkles and your diet and what you're eating is the cake. And, you know, your supplements yes. are just kind of the sprinkles on top. You want to make sure exactly. you're getting proper nutrition, all the proper food in a supplement is exactly what it's called a supplement to kind of fill in mm -hmm. those small gaps, but it, it shouldn't be the majority of what you're eating. Um, and exactly. along with that, so let's say someone's at the grocery store, you know, maybe they're not, um, an expert like you in healthy eating. What should be, <laughs> what should be in everyone's cart vegan or not vegan? What should be in everyone's cart? This one's a tricky question because um, although there are like general healthy guidelines for like a general healthy individual, which is what the Dietary Guidelines for Americans is and, and what it recommends, nutrition is so individualized, um, not just because of individual needs, but also preferences. So the most I can say for like a general person would be um, getting the produce because I think I mean, there's other things that are important, but I think that's the one thing that people get the least of. Now, whether it's fresh or frozen, doesn't matter. Um, equally nutritious. Um, frozen fruit is picked at peak ripeness and frozen immediately. And so you can rely on that for adequate amount of nutrients. And um, so the, my primary thing is always go for the produce. Always plan your meal 
vegetables. What vegetable are you going to have? This is for people who, if there's, if it's someone who isn't used to eating vegetables, what vegetable are you going to eat at every meal? What are you going to have that week? Um, and what I've noticed, what I didn't know, because granted, I don't have an outpatient um, business. Like I don't work with people one-on-one, uh, just like healthy eating, general nutrition advice, right? Um, I didn't realize, I realized this on TikTok. I didn't realize that people didn't know that they had to eat vegetables every day. I thought that was already a given, but it definitely is not. And so that's like my first tip is like, eat your vegetables every single day. Like, it's not like, oh, I ate them on Monday, so I don't have to eat them for the rest of the week. You know, like, no, no, no. You eat them every day. (laughs) You don't have to eat them at every meal. Like you could just have fruit for breakfast and a smoothie. You don't have to put spinach if you don't want to like if you're if you're a savory person yeah eat the spinach put some spinach with some eggs and you know or put the spinach in the smoothie and then have you know maybe like a burrito with some like lettuce tomatoes peppers you know there's ways to fit in um veggies into meals without having them be like the main like you don't have to have a salad every day right you don't have to have veggie soup you don't have to have like it doesn't have to be the main thing if you don't like vegetables so i think my first initial um, recommendation would just be like, get the produce, get the veggies, figure out which ones you like, um, and then go for the whole grains. That'd be my second one. Um, if you're used to eating white bread, just try it, try different whole grains, make sure it says whole grain is the first ingredient. Cause there's a lot of breads out there that, you know, look like they're like wheat breads, but really the first ingredient is like refined, um, enriched wheat flour. What's your favorite bread? I would have to say, well, um, I'm a little bougie. I go to the farmer's market. I get like, you know, my local, (laughs) my local, uh, farmer's market bread. Um, so they don't even have like a storefront. Um, so that's the bread I get. But if I didn't go to my farmer's market, I really like, um, Ezekiel. I really like, um, all, you know, I'm, I'm, it starts with an A you can get it at Trader Joe's. I just had it in my Trader Joe's haul video. So if people are confused because I don't, I butcher the name. It's like Alvagadro's Bakery. Have you heard of it? Alver, Alvarado's? I don't, I don't know. know. But it's that one. I, I think I it, might. Any, yeah. Any bread that is sprouted, I love because I love anything that's easier to digest, um, given that I have a history of poor digestion. Um, and yeah, those would probably be my top. Oh, and if people are gluten-free, because I know there's many celiacs out there um bread seriously but this is only in the bay area but bread seriously is one um they're a gluten-free uh brand and those are the ones those are the only ones i can think of at the top of my head i actually have a vegan gluten-free bread recipe on my website so it's made with like all whole grains psyllium husk all kinds of good things so oh i love that yeah psyllium husk has a lot of research behind it that's really good i love psyllium husk yeah. Tons of fiber. Um, good mm-hmm. for the gut. So yeah. Flax seeds would be another thing that I would totally have people add to their, um, granted they have no GI issues. They don't have Crohn's or anything like that. Um, even though a high fiber diet is recommended, um, is like the go-to medical nutrition therapy recommendation for people with Crohn's. If like, if they're in remission and they're doing fine, they just have it. Not if they have a flare, but because high fiber helps, you know, things run smoothly, um, also provide, um, nutrients for the microbiome. And so yeah, flax seeds are also definitely on that list of recommended grocery shopping. I love flax seeds. And I actually, have you had those crackers? They're called flackers and they're flaxseed crackers. And the only 
ingredients are like flax seeds, apple cider vinegar, and sea salt, I think. Yes, I've totally had them. I think yeah. it takes like a specific taste. Like you have to, you have to like healthy food, right? There's some things that like, I, I, I love healthy food. So I will like almost anything. Like if you tell me, if you give me something, I'll eat like flax seeds, whatever, veggie crackers, I'll eat them and I'll probably like them. Um, but what I've noticed with my friends who don't tend to eat as many vegetables and like, you know, as I do, they tend to not like those things. Totally. No, the, these flax crackers are, they're straight up flax seeds. Like they are straight up whole flax seeds in their whole form, not even ground up with like other things. It's just flax. It's literally just flax. It's literally flax. But if you get like a good, or I get like a good, um, vegan, like cashew cheese or something and I'll dip Mm. them in there and then it makes them more yummy. But like, I genuinely like eating them because I like eating healthy, but exactly. Exactly. I'm the same as you like urban remedy. I don't know if you've heard of urban remedy, but, um, I literally love all their food. Um, and even if some of it, like, it's interesting, like once you eat healthy, like sometimes it's like, even if it won't taste that good to me, like I'll still eat it. I'll still be like, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's not the best thing in the world, but like, I'll eat it. It's fine. It tastes good. Like it's, it, you know, I, I, it's like you make exceptions for things that are like really healthy and like don't taste, but they're just like, you know, they're fine. Speaking of something like that, I had a turmeric shot today it's like turmeric and black pepper and like cayenne oh yeah and like echinacea and it was like an immunity shot and it tasted mm-hmm. literally vi- like it was so it's bad, so bad. Yeah. i am sure those shots, mm, Ooh, those are nasty. they're really rough they're yeah. so yeah, rough you're just like you know what it's good for me i'm gonna do it totally like, even if there's not that much here's the thing like we're I totally like I'm evidence-based like I really advocate for evidence-based practice we don't want any bs right but there are some things that you know we don't learn in like mainstream western medicine and western nutrition and that's where integrative and alternative medicine comes into play that's where Chinese medicine comes into play and there are some things that your typical western trained practitioner will say like no, we have no evidence behind that. I've never heard anything about that. Why would you take that? But then you would go to an integrative alternative medicine practitioner and they'd be like, well, actually, um, in our journals, in our medical journals, you know, like Chinese, Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine has so much, you know, history behind it. And um, they might have evidence for it, you know, but because especially because I'm Western trained, like I don't have those, I don't have access to those, to those journals. Like I have access to a, um, to it's kind of like a website where you can look up certain ingredients and it'll give you all the research on it. Like turmeric has a good amount of research on it. Um, there's some mushrooms that like don't have great research, but at least there's some articles that can help direct you. If someone comes to you and says like, Hey, I take this, like at least you can know what it is and know if there's any risks behind it. Um, like reishi or chaga or anything like that. Um, so I'm kind of like, I was actually about to make a video, but then I realized I had too much to say about alternative and integrative nutrition. Um, I just have way too much to say about it, about like my thoughts about, you know, like how, like where I am about it. Um, Because I mean, long story short, I think that people who have been lucky enough to have had all of their problems solved by conventional medicine are less likely to go to alternative medicine and are less likely to believe in it because they were lucky enough to have all their problems solved. They went to the doctor, something was wrong. They got lab tests done, show, the test showed something was wrong. They got the treatment, figured out, done, great. 
But that's not the reality for a lot of people. They go to, the, especially with women with PCOS and Hashimoto's, they go to the doctor, they get labs done, everything comes back normal and they still feel shitty, right? Those are the people who end up turning to alternative medicine because it was a last result. And then what happens? Alternative medicine works for some people, not for everyone, but I think it, whether you believe in it or not, it really has to do with how lucky you were with regards to conventional medicine. And I was one of those people to where it didn't work. When I had my dyspepsia, nausea after eating, like I literally could not eat. I lost so much weight. I was so malnourished. I was a growing teenager. I needed to eat. And in the end, like I got an endoscopy done. Like I did so many tests. And in the end, I went to a homeopathic doctor who provided me magnesium, which is literally all I needed. I needed to relax. Like it was, it was very anxious related, anxiety related. And she gave me a couple other homeopathic medicines and I healed. I was able to start eating again. It was, and then I started realizing and I started myself distinguishing which foods made me feel better versus others. And so that's why I definitely have part of me really, you know, thinks alternative medicine and nutrition is an option for some people and it can really help um, before turning to drugs. Um, and so, yeah, that's my spiel on alternative medicine. Cause I, I thought of it when you said like echinacea and like ginger shots and stuff. Cause you'll see, you'll, if you tell dietitians that you take those shots, they'll just look at you like that does nothing. Absolutely nothing. When, you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah. And I think like, I think there's something to be said for kind of a marriage of the two, you know, Western mm-hmm. practices and then, you know, kind of the, the holistic remedies. I know for me, like still speaking about echinacea before we wrap things up. Um, yeah. If I feel like I'm getting a cold and I take echinacea, it goes away and I don't get sick mm-hmm. and it works every time. And I have like this kind of cocktail of things. Like I'll take a zinc, I'll take an echinacea, I'll pop a vitamin C. Like I have this whole medicine cabinet of herbs. And I swear when I take those things, I don't end up getting sick. You know, when you get that like mm-hmm. little tickle in your throat, yeah, I'll go, I'll, I'll take all these like immune boosting supplements and then I don't get sick. So I think there's definitely something to be said about. Exactly. And it's also really important that you take it at the time that you do. Cause a lot of those things work as a preventative and it's like, right. When you feel it, you immediately have to take it or they're not going to work. Um, right. And so exactly. That's really good that you you're on top of that. Yes. Um, um so <laughs> I have, I have a couple questions. I know we could like go on forever. Go on um, forever. Yeah. I could talk about this for hours. Yeah. Same. Um, but I have a couple of <laughs> questions that I ask all of my guests. This is just kind of like quick answer get to know you a little bit more starting with what would your last meal on earth be oh wow oh that's so hard it's a tough one for a foodie that's so difficult um rapid fire if i were just to choose one the first one that comes to mind is eggplant parmesan yum probably be (laughs) thing that comes from my italian roots yeah yeah um what is one thing you can't live without in your morning routine I can't live without a uh, morning routine. I would have to say water. <laughs> water is the one, cause I just recently started a morning routine. I really didn't have one before, but COVID kind of made me start having one, um, being at home all the time. And so I drink a bunch of water in the morning. And when I don't have that, I really feel the effects. I feel so dehydrated the whole day if I don't drink that like maybe eight to 12 ounce cup of water in the morning. Um, cause I, then I meditate for like two minutes cause I'm not, I'm really, um, what's the word? I'm not, 
patient. And so <laughs> I'll just do a two minute meditation and then I'll journal. But I feel like I could live without those. What I can't live without is the water for sure. And what is something quirky about you people would be surprised to find out? Hmm. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, they would be pleased to find out. They'd be surprised. Oh, surprised. Okay. Um, hmm. I feel like I have a lot of them because as a kid, I did so many weird things. Well, not weird, but, um, I tap danced for nine years. I was, and did like acting for a long time. So I guess that could be one. I speak Italian. Um, I'm 100% Italian. My parents immigrated from Italy. And so that's one that a lot of people don't realize, especially on TikTok. When I did a video where I spoke Italian, everybody was like, what? You speak Italian? That's (laughs) so so funny. No, that is definitely a fun fact. Um, (laughs) If you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? Mm -hmm. It would probably be surfing. Um, I'm not a professional surfer. I don't, I've never, I did not grow up next to the water or I kind of did. I mean, I live in San Francisco. So like (laughs) I did, I do have water next to me, but it's not like I grew up on a beach and was able to go surfing all the time. But the times that I did, oh my gosh, probably the most fun I've ever had. And I'm able to like stand up and everything and actually surf. So that's what makes it probably one of the best workouts I would say. Um, and initially when you asked the question, I was like, oh, I love yoga school. But at the same, but at the same time, I was like, wait a second, there's so many different types of exercise that wouldn't be labeled as exercise because they're not your typical like hit yoga, weightlifting, what have you. But all those outdoor sports. Mm. And I mean, I played volleyball for like 15 years and I played it in college, but still surfing is so fun. <laughs> I love that. that what yeah. is your favorite grocery store? I would have to say not a grocery store. The farmer's market is my favorite place to get because um, I love supporting small businesses. You get to know them. It's and having because I go to Italy every year. I mean, not aside from the year COVID happened, but uh, I have gone to Italy every single year. I mean, I've been blessed to do that. I've been grateful to be able to go back and see my whole because my entire family lives there aside from me, my mom, my brother, and my father. And so going back there, I realized like there's a completely different community and in, in especially the town that I, my grandparents live in, they know all of the people who make their food, who, who they buy their meat from, who they buy their cheese from, their milk, their vegetables. Like they have this connection and relationship with them. And I really love that. And I found that when I go to the farmer's market that they know me, I know them and I support their business. And so that would probably be my favorite. Love that. And one more thing, this is Would You Rather Foodie Edition. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Ready. Okay. 100%. Peanut butter or almond butter? Almond butter. Pasta. Pasta or pizza? Pizza. Ice cream or brownies? Ice cream all the way. Spinach or romaine? Mm. Um, the first thing I thought of was E. coli. So spinach, even though you can find it there. Pancakes or waffles? Pancakes. Smoothies or juices? Smoothies. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Oh, dark chocolate. Lemon or lime? Lemon. Hummus or guacamole? Hummus. Pesto or Alfredo? Oh, pesto. Same. Pesto is so good. Yeah. Mm. So, oh yeah. Underrated, but so, yeah. And lastly, where can everyone find you on social media? 
at my TikTok and Instagram. Unfortunately, they're not the same name. They're similar, but they're not the same. On Instagram, it's Grain of Sophia. On TikTok, on TikTok, it's Grain of Sophia underscore RD. Love it. And I'll also link your social handles in the show notes so that everyone can easily find them. But thank you so much for being on. This was so fun. So nice to connect. Yes, it was so fun to talk to you. I feel like we're so similar and I'm so glad we were able to meet like face to face. And I love your TikTok as well. I love all your recipes. Oh, thank um, I've made you. Multiple of them. So I appreciate it. And thank you for having me on. Yes, we'll have to do it again soon. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. Bye.